What is Montrospective? It's what we say to ourselves and our attitude towards it. We repeat mantras over and over again to ourselves. If we're doing it right, they're positive, not negative. What we say affects our attitude and our point of view. We all have dreams and goals, but how many of us know where to start to make them happen? I am fascinated by everyday people who are doing extraordinary things, and I wanted to find out why and how they were able to be successful. I spent 16 years in radio, not as a DJ, but as a promotions director. I never had an interest in being front and center or putting myself out there as a personality. Fast forward to today, I have something to say and messages from incredible people to share. Simply put, I am interested. I want to know what propels everyday people to follow their dreams in the hopes that it will inspire you to do the same. We have one life to live. Let's listen, learn, and share our journey with the world. This is Montrospective. Montrospective would like to thank our sponsor. If you're looking for a one-stop shop that offers yoga, meditation, Reiki, readings, and various other classes along with being a metaphysical store, check out Mantra in Blue Springs, Missouri off 7 Highway. Also online at mantrakc.com. My next guest is a wife, mom, wellness coach, yogi, and entrepreneur, but she is so much more. She has committed her life to helping families achieve mind and body wellness. She created My Inner Peace Wellness, which is designed to help families with planning, pregnancy, postpartum, caregiver resources, and more. In May of 2019, she suffered a loss so many women and families endure. Due to complications, she lost her baby girl, Harper. She has taken that pain and is sharing her and her family's journey with us. Ashley Tabata, welcome to Montrospective. Thank you so much for having me. Is that fairly accurate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Really good. good. To be transparent, Ashley and I know each other from way back. My God, yeah. I can't even remember what year, but we were both briefly in radio together. Yeah. Um, what feels like a century ago, but um, I mean, probably at least what? 12, I feel like, yeah, it was 2000 yeah. it was before I moved to uh, California. So 2006, 2007, something oh like God. that. God, it's been that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy, but I'm really glad we connected for this interview because um, as I mentioned to you before, I have been following your journey thanks to social media. I mean, imagine if social media didn't exist and, you know, we didn't have a constant timeline of everybody's life going on, but you've led a pretty interesting life for that time that we haven't been around each other. And I really want to share your journey with our listeners. So we're going to start off where we start off with everybody and tell us what you were like as a little girl and what your dreams and aspirations were at that time. Such a funny question, a good question. So when I was a kid, they called me Punky Brewster because <laughs> I was all about my pigtails. I was all about the Converse, one purple, one pink. So I was very, you know, very... Fashionable? <laughs> yeah, sure. At the time, you know, the side ponytail was all about it. And uh that's how my mom would dress me when I would go to school. But I also had that rockin', you know, um, ear to ear bangs too, with the really long hair. I loved 
playing outside. I love playing in the mud. I did not like dresses. I didn't like when I would have to do a school play and I'd have to wear those tights. I hated it. <laughs> um, I hated it so much. I still actually am not a huge fan. I'll try to wear some yoga, like yoga pants or something, like black yoga pants usually fit the <laughs> fit the bill for me now. Um, so yeah, so I was just a really feisty, outgoing, uh, bossy, sometimes, well, not sometimes, I was very outspoken, which I guess hasn't changed a whole lot <laughs> as an adult. But yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's interesting. The, the streak continues for every guest that I've had on that I've asked this question for. There is one common denominator and that it's that they were outdoor kids, that they loved being oh, outside. Really? And yes, every single one of my guests, that is the common denominator. And I just, I find it interesting awesome. that people that are creative and become entrepreneurs and all of that have that common thing that they really loved having that connection to nature um, yeah. and everything. So I do find that fascinating that you had that as well. So while you were being this bossy, <laughs> no dress wearing, playing outside <laughs> little girl, what were you dreaming of then? What did you want to be when you grew up? So when I was young, uh, I always wanted to be a marine biologist. Oh my God, I did too. That was really totally my thing. And here we were in that like Missouri, where the yeah. heck are we going to get an ocean around here? Oh, that was no, that was totally my goal in life. Sharks are my favorite thing in the whole world. And I wanted more than anything to move to a coast and be a marine biologist. And then I found out they made no money. So, and my parents were like, well, why That's don't you go get a degree first and then do what you really want to do? So yeah. That's amazing because I will tell you that I love dolphins, and when I realized that I had to be in the water with sharks, I was done. <laughs> no, I love no. dolphins too, but there is something fascinating about sharks. For those of you listening to the podcast, you won't hear this, but my first and only tattoo ever is a great white shark's tooth <gasps> on my wrist. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so now we have that connection. That's awesome. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that is so amazing. And yes, I agree with you, especially as I've gotten older, there's definitely an appreciation that I have. Uh, and I have kind of this irrational fear too, but we can save that for another day when it comes to sharks. So yeah, so anyways, when I was little, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Uh, and then I always, I got in to theater and dancing and stuff. I started dancing, I think when I was three or four, I got into, you know, my first dance classes. Uh, and my mom was a uh, producer in Kansas City. So in theater. And so I was raised in the theater community. So of course, that naturally just kind of set in just entertainment with something that I aspired to do uh, as well. Uh, I public spoke for a while when I was a child. Uh, so yeah, so it was kind of a, a mixture of all kinds of things. I just, I always knew I wanted to help people somehow, some way. So 
So that's that's funny too. You and I have a theater connection then as well because that's Yay. what I also wanted to do. If I wasn't going to be a marine biologist, thought for sure I was going to move to LA and make it as a big star. And again, my parents said, "Sure, you can do that right after you go get a degree in like accounting or whatever." So I obviously did not go that route, but kind of like you, I wanted that's very amazing. much to work with people and I loved being creative. And yeah. like you wanted to do something where I felt like I could make a difference. And yeah. it's taking me 44 years to finally start figuring out what that is, you know, figuring out what my purpose is and everything. But yeah. we were on the right track for all those years. It's just, you know, yeah. it takes a while to come to that realization of what that actually is. So um, what were you like as a teenager? What struggles did you have? Because we all have struggles in our teen years. <clears throat> so again, still really outgoing. Uh, I think that uh, I started struggling with body image issues towards the end of uh, grade school, entering into middle school, uh, which carried with me for quite some time um but I really just enjoyed hanging out with friends and again dancing uh I was part of a dance troupe and then I was part of a dance squad at school so of course there was that I always stayed really busy uh I was really fortunate to be able to travel so with some of what my mom would do, I would travel with her to go visit or whatever place she was working on. Uh, just really being, again, surrounded by theater was pretty much my entire life. So it was amazing to be able to be included in a lot of the Broadway shows that even came through Kansas City and being able to have that be a part of my life. It was just such a huge influence in a great way. It also showed me the beautiful escape that you can experience as an actor. Uh, and the joy that you can bring people in that creative outlet. And I found that connection a lot through life of just, you know, kind of that escape or what you would gravitate towards and how music also is the universal language, right? It can just, if you're in a mood, there's a song or there's an album or there's something out there that can really resonate right with you in the moments that you're in and it can also connect you with people and so that's also you know my teenage years was really when I gained a very different appreciation for music and just how powerful it can be and influential and life-changing in some ways so yeah so that was well that explains how you got into radio <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it sounds like the theme for you was connection. You were being yeah. surrounded by all different types of people yeah. at all times and learning different ways to connect with them, whether it was through talking, whether it was through music, whether it was through acting and developing a character or dancing or mm -hmm. whatever. You sound like you've been very interpretive, you know, throughout your long, young life of, um, the different routes you were given. You were almost given this creative outlet to express yourself. Did you have any trouble expressing yourself during that time? Or because you had that background, did it make you more confident? 
I think a mixture of both, to be honest. I think that everybody, especially as you're an adolescent going through puberty and just trying to figure out who you are, I think that's, of course, you know, I went down some avenues of, of um, like I had mentioned, the whole body image issue, and I struggled with an adolescent eating disorder. So that was definitely a struggle uh, in terms of expressing myself, mm-hmm. I guess like you had said. But then I think that as I started to gravitate and find things that really kept me more grounded and focused and that connection would always kind of bring me back, right, into the important things in life or how to refocus. Uh, Yeah, just refocus in life. So I think it was a mixture of both. Have you been able to look back at your time that you were having body image issues and understand where that came from? Have you, I'm guessing you've been through that entire healing process of understanding why it started. And obviously you don't have that issue now. What was that? What was your relationship with food like at the time and what was causing those issues? You know, there were a lot of influences, whether it was um, environmental uh, or just what you see, right? As especially as a young woman, you know, and I think it's still very relevant now in our society in terms of this ideal, right? That kind of gets forced into your face. So I think that there was a lot of influence in it. Some extremely, you know, personal, but I faced a lot of that because I'm a true believer. For me it was very empowering as I started moving through the journey of the wise. Of course, a lot of it was self-reflection because of course, during was super intense. Uh, I don't even think I realized what was happening at first because I was so young. Uh, so that was also something in reflection. I always wanted to carry with me as I got older and the consideration of having kids and all of that was also trying to take mental notes for myself of what I didn't want to talk about, maybe even if it's in the world around you, figuring out positive, constructive ways to have conversations about things and face things, and not steering away if it's brought to the table, but really figuring out an empathetic and compassionate way to talk about things versus, you know, and just embracing who you are, which I think especially, you know, when it started for me, like I said, towards the end of grade school, it's a very influential time in, I think, a young one's life. And it's a very confusing time for everybody. So, yeah, so it was just super intense, but I think it was just seeing the world around you and of course you know you get to that age and you see boys starting to get interested in girls and what those girls look like and all of a sudden really starting to care what other people think of you or like what's wrong with me kind of thing you know all those questions but I think everybody goes through just some people handle it differently uh so I don't even think I recognized at the beginning But my relationship with food to answer that question, uh, I was really good because when I was a child, I was a, you know, I was 
overweight for my age for certain periods of time. But I also think it's that kind of growing thing too, right? So, and it was confusing, I guess I should just simply say. So I was able to hide things because I was always in baggy clothes. That was just always my comfort level, baggy sweatshirts, um, baggy pants. So as I started to lose weight, I was able to really hide it well, if that makes sense. No, that completely makes sense. Um, Was that something you were keeping to yourself for a long period of time? Like, did anybody notice something was going on with you or did you eventually have to ask for help? So what happened was I was changing. Yeah. So I was able to hide it. I like, think I was at least from my own reflection and then conversations with family I think I was able to hide it pretty well uh especially like I said baggy sweatshirts that was just always my thing uh so I was changing in uh the bathroom I think I was 12 11 or 12 and uh you know you share the house with parents so my mom walked in and I guess at that point she just saw how tiny my back was um So that was kind of the moment of realization that conversations needed to be had. And I was lucky uh, to have a support system. Very grateful for that to be able to kind of get me through. So I was able to, yeah, I was able to, I didn't go to any um, inpatient Mm -hmm. facilities or anything like that. And I struggled with body image issues, which I think a lot of people struggle with those uh, for quite some time after. But I was lucky to have a support system and was able to start correcting behaviors and starting to understand um, the value of food, which of course, I think I learned even more so later on in life. Just my relationship with food really started changing, I would say, in my early 20s was really when I started to gain more of an appreciation for fueling your body and how to fuel your body and how to use it in a, a good way. Well, that's a perfect transition because I was going to say, you know, obviously when you became an adult, your relationship did change with food. And I read, I think in one of your blogs or on your website that you love to make magic in the kitchen. That's kind of your thing. So what is it about, you know, making food and stuff right now is so enjoyable for you? Do you like to be creative and come up with new recipes or is it really just about you know giving somebody a a menu and here's the healthiest foods you can eat you know you know or was it becoming a mom and realizing okay I've got to raise you know kids and make sure they're making healthy decisions and you know hopefully they're they don't go down the same road I did and if they did I'm going to be there for them but you know try to teach them those good habits early on Yeah, so I always used to cook and bake with my grandmother when I was a kid. That was just something that we did. And so I always kind of cooked, kind of, but I mean, I was really proud of, you know, very simple things, which I still am. Uh, I just think there's something so exciting, and I would say pre-COVID and (laughs) pre-pandemic, that uh, you know, we cooked a lot and, you know, my husband and I would cook a lot and I would bake a lot, but I think not as much since, of course, 
with the pandemic and being forced to be inside all the time and just we've taken it very seriously. I love creating. Uh, I love being able to start something from start to finish. And we actually started a meal delivery service a couple years ago that showed us kind of how to make meals within 30 minutes. And I loved it because all of a sudden it became really tangible. It became really easy. And I think that that's kind of when the dots started connecting for me, that it doesn't have to be this overcomplicated process, which I think is also what kept me from wanting to uh, actually partake in cooking sometimes, mm -hmm. especially working all day. It's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to cook for three hours at night and have a super late dinner. So I think that's what I started really embracing was finding really accessible things to cook that were exciting, were fulfilling, and were also approved by our three-year-old or our 13-year-old, you know, th those types of things. So I definitely think a mom has been a huge influence on wanting our kids to be able to eat fulfilling meals and, you know, hoping that they like their fruits and veggies, at least most of the time is mm -hmm. the goal. So a mom, being a mom has definitely influenced a lot of it. But I also think when I started making it way more accessible and eating, like making a loaf of bread, it's so funny too now, just some of the things that it's like, oh yeah, don't worry, I'll, I'll yeah, I'm just going to make that. I never would have said some of those things, like making, a, <laughs> making everything from scratch pre-COVID was sometimes daunting like there would always be things I would you know try to kind of supplement which I still do but now just a fully home-cooked meal or having our own bread that we're making in the house I feel like you enjoy it or we do at least just enjoy it so much more because we know that we made it so it just makes it a super enjoyable exciting accessible experience see so that's something good that's come out of the pandemic already so many people are focused yeah. on the negative of this time and everything. And, you know, trust me, there's plenty to be negative about. Um, mm -hmm. But that's part of what this podcast is all about, too, is finding the good in things. And that's one of them right there. You know, you've been given the time to, you know, make these meals for your family and everything. And, you know, I think so much of that starts in the home, too. You know, I grew up in a home where it was you sit at the table and you eat your vegetables till you're done. So it kind of was presented as a bad thing almost like you know mm. you've got to sit there and yeah eat and my husband and I have some friends that have two little kids that they have raised them to just enjoy food and the health mm -hmm. benefits of it and they crave vegetables these two kids want more vegetables on their plates I've never seen anything like it but it's because it wasn't you know taught to them as like a negative bad thing that you know you've got to sit here and eat your peas or whatever it's you know peas are nutritious and they're good and, you know, all of those things. So I, you know, I think it's important that you're especially teaching families and everything about um, good food and everything right now. I think now more than ever, we really need it. More people are like planting gardens in their backyard and stuff now that they didn't have oh. time to do before. It's really yes. cool to see. Yes. Yes. And I will say our, we're so lucky because our kids, the favorite thing is cucumbers and tomato salad that's been the consistent thing that they love our cucumber and tomato salad I'm like thank you <laughs> you're like I'll no, take it <laughs> me we 
definitely get our fair share of the quick pizzas and french fries and all that kind of stuff too. So I, I definitely also feel like it's a balance uh, and moderation and all of that, right? It's, it's when you're enjoying things, especially that are home cooked or you grow yourself or whatever it is, I, I find that sometimes it's easier to release those negative ideas of any type of food, right? It's not about eliminating, you know, uh, certain things. It's just about having a well-rounded, full experience. Yeah. Well, in 2014, you started a blog. Where did that inspiration come from? And what were your goals for it at the time? Oh, my goodness. So I had just come off of my yoga teacher training and also getting my integrative wellness coach certification. And I'd always wanted to do a blog, but I just had no idea how to go about it. And I still didn't really, and I still am learning as I go. It. I, again, just wanted to share what I had learned. And I think that's always the powerful thing, too, is it, I kind of compare it to gratitude, right? If you don't, if you're not sharing the gratitude that you have for something or somebody or whatever the case is or a situation, you're holding on to that. You should share it. So there was so much that I wanted to share. And I wanted to share my own experiences with things and hope to encourage other people to do you know, if I found something that was really exciting or accessible, I wanted to share it because I thought that even if it resonated with one other person, that it could help. So that's really, again, what it all kind of stems back to is just wanting to help other people. And I love writing. That's always been something that's been a consistent in my life is, you know, putting pen to paper. It's not even always typing. I love writing like physically holding a pen and writing so that was also something that was a transition for me because a blog is online so you have to type so it was also forcing me a bit outside of my comfort zone too and being comfortable in that space and just putting myself out there so I released this idea or expectation I had created for myself and I literally just said just start and then see what happens that's a great so. message for people listening to hear right now is that that's half the battle is just yeah. starting. Just do yeah. it. You don't have to know everything. Um, just enough to be dangerous, you know, and just get out there and do it. And blogging allows you to be so authentic, you know, mm -hmm. if you are open to it. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it's very therapeutic as well. I've recently started writing again and everything myself. And it's amazing what comes pouring out of you. So even if you actually never share it, it's great, you know, like journaling. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I keep a gratitude journal that I write in every single day um, just to make sure I'm keeping in check with everything and that I'm constantly living in a state of gratitude. Um, you it's know, getting out of your own way. I think that's like the biggest fear that everybody has is like striving for this ideal or this perfect situation and I think that when I realized that you just kind of have to embrace where you are that it's never going to be a perfect situation and you're never going to be in well for me at least my viewpoint was I was never going to be in this you know 
it was releasing that idea of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. It's just starting and then learning as you go and adjusting and acknowledging and accepting, you know, if you write something or you put something out there, just figuring it out and having that open dialogue and conversation. I think that's the most powerful thing when people can watch that journey and experience that journey too. That is where a lot of your own growth can come as well as that shared connection with people because it's real. It's not a staged situation. Well, I think too, we don't give ourselves enough credit all the time too. Um, I think in some ways we think we're the only people going through things and that other people won't understand. And once you become brave and become authentic and share those things, you realize there's an entire community of people out there that have experienced it and say, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Here's my story in return. And it yeah. gives them that, you know, their own confidence um, to yeah. talk and share. And you did go through an unimaginable loss. Um, in May of 2019, you were, you were pregnant with your little girl and unfortunately you lost her and that's one of the blog entries I read and it was so powerful and so real and so authentic and genuine and you could feel the sadness and pain but gratitude at the same time that she was here and you got to spend the time with her that you did what would you like to share about that entire journey. Oh, yeah, that really captured it. Um, Life-changing. I mean, forever changed in a split second. You know, uh, we learned she, um, I was having some complications and I went to the ER and that's when we learned that there was no longer a heartbeat. And I was in my second trimester um, so I was admitted to the hospital the following day. I got to come home. It was the middle of the night. So I was able to come home and then needed to make an appointment with my doctor. And so fortunate it was a Saturday. So my doctor actually had, and I mean, I, I'm so grateful for my doctor. <laughs> I think even if she wasn't in the office, uh, she would have opened her office. It's a private practice. Uh, but yeah, I went to the doctor's office and then was admitted to the hospital. And, um, you know, everybody has a very different journey with um, infant pregnancy or infant loss. And ours was, you know, we went to the hospital and I delivered a baby and we didn't come home with a baby. And with October being uh, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month as well, and Harper's due date is on the 21st, uh, you know, it's a really also intense time to kind of be reflecting, but it's, yeah, it's so life-changing. In a split second, all the firsts are ripped away, everything every experience and we were really public because we were excited we were public when we shared our announcement with our son you know we, we shared it on social media and we did a big 
Um, we did a few things different when I was pregnant with Harper. We did a gender reveal party with family and I was super public about it on social media. And so you go through this tornado almost of, you know, every emotion you could ever feel, every thought, what did I do wrong? Um, the shaming that takes place, the grief of, you know, the individual grief that we had and then the collective grief, right? We were grieving the loss of our daughter. Um, I was grieving the loss of my pregnancy. And then we grieved who I was because I was actually just telling my husband this the other day, I'll look at photos and just random photos. And there's a distinct, there's a shift in me when I see photos that happened before we lost Harper. And this could have been even two years before. Um, there's literally this physical shift, mental shift that I feel in my body. And I probably always will because this isn't, you know, and this loss isn't something that we'll ever get over. We're just learning to live with it. And the grief, um, it's cyclical. It kind of comes in and out and it manifests in all kinds of ways. Um, so yeah, I mean, literally in a split second, your world gets completely flipped and you're faced with every, every, yeah, just everything. Uh, and it's intense and it's a dark place to be. It was an extremely dark place to be. Uh, and we self-insulated. We just kind of, you know, following um, when I was admitted and we had amazing, oh my God, the team of people at the hospital were so amazing. And um, my doctor, it became a human experience because everything's very clinical, especially with something like this. And I had to go in after I delivered, I go in for an emergency procedure following, um, but it was just such a human experience. And we are so grateful that we had the team of people in the moment that were supportive in a human way, like the doctors and the way they spoke to us and the nurses and just how they were treating us. And I know it's not that same experience for everybody. So it also gives us a different gratitude too, to know that this terrible journey that we were on was started with such a support from the medical staff that, you know, when we came home and mind you, I, my husband, of course, was at the hospital and they allowed our son to be at the hospital too, because he was two, he had just turned two a few weeks before. So I also didn't have to be, you know, alone. And I felt so alone and so isolated. So there's a lot that goes into it, and a lot of thought. And I've been very public about sharing the experience once I gained my strength in my weakness and my vulnerability that it was okay to not be okay and when I started slowly sharing people would reach out to me privately and share their experience or thank me for sharing the experience which that wasn't you know social media is its own kind of thing right mm -hmm. and I just felt like it was really healing to share our journey and 
you know, one in four women experience pregnancy or infant loss, you know, or baby loss. And so it is more common than people are aware of, but I think so many people are afraid to speak about it publicly, um, afraid of the judgment that they may face on how, and I mean, we can see what's happening right now with celebrities sharing their journey and how people are so quick to step in and tell somebody how to grieve. Um, I was just going to bring that up. That's exactly what I was going to bring up with Chrissy Teigen and John Legend losing their son and her being so public with it. And um, I thought her post was absolutely beautifully written and a great tribute. And Mm -hmm. um, just even watching some of the women, I think is what surprised me most of all come out and attack her for that and say, um, you know, that should have been a private moment. And, you know, what are you doing sharing this and everything? I don't think we get to the right to tell people how they grieve. And I think more importantly than that, her sharing her story, you sharing your story is helping mm-hmm. other women and not just women, the husbands, the boyfriends, the whoever, the, you know, yeah. life partners, the get yeah. the whole families. Yeah. Everybody get through it because it shouldn't be something that people have to suffer with in silence. You know, you're, this isn't, you know, the 1950s or whatever, where you're confined to a room and, you know, you can't say anything or share anything and you just have to pretend like it didn't happen. It happened and it affects you, like you said, forever. It's something that you are learning to live with. It will never change. You know, you may Mm -hmm. not ever feel better about it, but you're doing the best you can and you're sharing what your journey looks like in the hopes that it will help someone else going through it. So, I I mean, I think it's important and I think it's powerful and um, I don't think it's by accident that I reached out to you during this time. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's important to share. Um, Where are you, where are you now with everything? Such an interesting question because I will say this year uh, is a bit more intense than it was for me last year. And uh, so again, coming up to the 21st, it would be, well, of course we delivered in May. So that's also kind of the significance and the celebration or when we choose to honor kind of both dates. That's also an interesting thing too. Uh, but this year with it being what would have been a one-year birthday, you know, it's intense because it, it, a lot of questions are coming up for myself and my own self-reflection and my own journey and grief. Um, and you know, we are so blessed to have a rainbow baby. So I'm going to try not to get emotional, but I might, um, who's six months too. So, you know, grief and gratitude coexist in our world, simultaneously moving and allowing the journey to happen at the same time takes so much work and so much work, right? To make sure that it doesn't collide. And it's okay if it collides. It it does collide for me a lot. And there's a lot of overlap, right? Celebrating our six months, um, you know, half a year for our little rainbow baby, 
And then also knowing and asking questions on what would it have been like had Harper turned a year old this month. So it's not allowing, you know, it, it's, it's okay when I feel kind of the guilt start to come in of like, well, but, you know, you have this rainbow baby. Don't ask yourself questions like this. But then it's like, you know, it's okay to explore those questions and ask the what ifs, right? That's a part of the journey. That's a part of the forever journey. And that will be a part of our journey. So it's also being okay with those questions. And it doesn't take away from our gratitude and just beyond feeling blessed that we have a rainbow baby and that we were given the opportunity um, to have a rainbow after this storm, like people say, right? Um, because that's also this weird connection that we have or that I've made is just our journey to our little girl that we have with us now began when we lost Harper. And it doesn't necessarily make it okay for us or there isn't some acceptance that comes in. There's just a very vulnerable, real gratitude that we have that both journeys just happen to be a part of our life and our story. Did you have fear when you got pregnant again? Were you worried? Yes. How did the you deal with that? Time. The entire time. So therapy. Um, we went to a grief support group. We found an amazing grief support group here for child loss. Uh, after we lost Harper, and of course, um, continued to go to, to until um, I felt it was time for us to kind of take a step back out of respect for the other families that were going there too. Fear every single day. And it was intense. But I think that I really had I mean, I, again, I'm also great. And I throw the word grateful around, but I don't, there aren't really a lot of other words to use. I'm so lucky to have such a supportive husband and partner who allowed for me to grieve the ways I needed to grieve was an amazing sounding board for me when I was in the darkest of dark times. I think we also allowed each other to grieve um, how we needed to grieve, which was extremely different. And that's okay, because people, again, grieve differently. But we together could support each other on our individual journeys and then support each other on our collective journey. Um, but yeah, I was terrified. I didn't want to be excited. I cried at when I took the test at home. And then I cried at my general doctors before I even went back to my OB. Um, I just sobbed for an hour because I was just I was afraid I was going to fail myself. That's how I felt, right? Like, I felt like I had failed myself. I had failed my family when we lost Harper. My body failed me. So I was terrified for what, of course, we didn't, so blessed, of course, with our son. Um, you know, the what ifs with him. Well, that became a reality when we lost Harper. So we lived both sides of it. And so it was just nothing to take for granted. I was just terrified for probably, I mean, literally until our daughter was born this past April and I heard her cry. Um, 
I was, we didn't share it with, we didn't go public. The majority, even the family had no idea until we did an announcement on, or like announced that we had delivered um, her. People were shocked. They had no idea I was pregnant. We were very private. We were very cautiously excited, insulated. We didn't share it with a lot of family. We didn't share it with a lot of friends. We just, we wanted to eliminate noise because there was so much noise for us because of our loss. So yeah, I was terrified. I have so many questions and I don't even know where to start because, <laughs> you know, talking about this subject with you is very important to me, especially as a mm -hmm. woman, but you're talking mm -hmm. to a woman who has never been pregnant, let alone lost a child. So sure. I can empathize. I can say mm -hmm. I understand, but I don't, you know, I, I, I empathize, I, but I can't imagine. I can't even begin to imagine what you, your husband, your family, everything has gone through because, you know, I know being pregnant takes a toll on your body as well. And so you already had gone through one difficult time where not only did you unfortunately lose the baby, but your body had been put through a lot. And then not too long after, you know, you're, you're pregnant again and you're, worried and I think you probably handled it in the best way you possibly could by not sharing it as much even just for your own um, sanity and everything just knowing that I think maybe in a way maybe you felt you had more control of the situation than before but that's why I think it is so important to talk about it because I do know so many women that have mm -hmm. lost a child and I know so many women who don't talk about it and they just keep it deep inside themselves and don't deal with that pain. And I think it's important to, and so for someone like you to come out and say, here's my story and it sucked and it wasn't easy, but here's things I'm grateful for that came out of it. You said more things that you're grateful for just as many things as horrible things throughout that entire explanation. You know, you, you know, Harper was here for a reason. She was here. You got to celebrate her. You got to name her. You know, I know that was part of your blog as well that I think you said you typically don't name. Wasn't it you don't name your kids? Yeah, so we, yeah. yeah, no, we choose kind of like a top three. And then once they've been born, when we see them, we decide on the name. And that still stood true with Harper, um, knowing what we were going through. Um, when we got to the hospital, of course, we were leaning in a direction. Um, and it was part, you know, of the process because you get this like packet of information, right? Of things that you can do if you want to or suggestions or I don't know the word that you want to latch on to, you know, gra gravitate towards. But, you know, here, here are what other families have done if this is something that is important to you. And so naming her was really important for us. We were able to spend time with her, which was not something that either one of us, when we initially, when I was admitted to the hospital early on, because we were there, you know, for a long, what felt like an eternity, but, you know, it was the roller coaster that we kind of rode throughout the day. We didn't make decisions until after I delivered her. So that also, we knew what options we had 
or not options even, that's not the right way to say it because whatever we decided was our option. Once we got there, we made the decision. Once we were in the situation, we were like, okay, what do you want to do? What do we want to do together? What do we want to do individually? Um, and I'm so glad that we had some of those moments because it's strange to even think about those moments and how difficult it was to even reach those decisions that we made. But I think for closure for us, um, you know, it's still difficult, of course, when the images flutter back into your mind. But I think for us, it was the closure that we needed as a family. And I think every family has to decide that for themselves because it isn't going to be the same. And it also isn't going to be the same for the um, couple or, you know, whatever. It's going to be or not couple, but, you know, it's it's different for the woman, right? It, 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 so it's it's really, it just comes down to whatever decision that you make as an individual in that moment that's right for you. And that isn't going to be right for everybody, nor should it be. That's, you know, it's a very personal experience. Well, this may be a question you may be able to answer and maybe you won't. Um, sure. She's obviously not here to live out her own legacy, to live out her mm -hmm. own life. Mm -hmm. But you're here and you, she is very real. She was growing inside of you. You got to hold her, you got to be with her. Mm -hmm. What do you want her legacy to be through you? That's a great question. I, I think when we talk about her, it makes her real, right? It's not just a memory. It's not just a moment or a trauma or a tragedy. I think that's been really important to me as her mom is talking about her and sharing our story makes her real, makes the memory real that we can carry with us. Um, and talking about her to our kids matter-of-factly because it kind of validates the situation for me. And, you know, again, we're so blessed to have a rainbow baby at the same time you know kind of being able to celebrate both of it in the same moment um but yeah just talking about her I think is just so important to me and I think every year that goes by I'll be able to probably answer that question a little differently if that makes sense mm -hmm. because I think there's continued I mean, there's going to be a, a, a piece for a situation that you can't accept. I think every milestone that takes place that would have been, there is this other kind of connection that happens. And I don't want to call it acceptance because, of course, it's so difficult to accept a tragedy like that. But I think right now it really comes down to just sharing our story and our journey and talking about her and sometimes to her and being okay with that and knowing that she absolutely watched over her little sister that we have now 
and that's when I get teary, um, and watches over her brother and her older sister, and over us, you know, we have a, a guardian angel with us forever, and just, you know, it sucks, but it's a part of our story, and so I think that's when, that's where the acceptance comes in, is not acceptance of the loss, but the acceptance that this is just a part of our journey, so I think right now, it just really comes down to just sharing our story, and knowing that she was real, and we have the memories, and the connections that we made, and some of the friendships that we made from people in the support group, you know, it's this club that you don't want to be a part of but there's also people that we've met and reconnections that I've made with people that felt comfortable to share their journey with me and friendships that kind of were brought uh, you know we just coming back together with people I think there's a beauty and there's a beauty in tragedy and when you can share it with people because I know that you had mentioned you know, the whole idea of not knowing what to say or, you know, just like the empathy. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? Because people don't know what to say, but it's, there, there isn't anything to say and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing too, is it's also helped me understand how um, I want to show up for people moving forward too, is you have to release your expectation of how you want to show up and this is the general you uh but this is something I'm working on is being able to show up for people just showing up and not with the expectation of what I can do for them but just showing up for them and for that person to tell me what is needed because it was so hard for me to articulate that after we left Harper um I didn't know how I didn't know what I needed I still don't know what I need sometimes from it and that's okay so yeah, it's just really, yeah. I think that's her legacy through you yeah. is that she gave you such a perspective shift yeah. in how you see things and your relationships with other people that maybe wouldn't have happened had this not. And of course, you know, wish we could take it all back and it never happened. And, you know, you could... Sure. figure this out later on in life or whatever. But I think, <laughs> but you know, I, I believe very much that she was here for a reason and a purpose and it's coming through you right now. It's you sharing your story of her, you know, you two are connected forever and she is real. And I I'm talking about her because she is real. I, you know, I, I didn't talk to you when you were pregnant or even know at the time, I think that you were pregnant or anything. And she's still very real to me. I mean, you bring her to life when you talk about her. And I think that's how you honor her and how she is going to be remembered forever. And I think that's really, really special. Um, I love that. Thank you for putting words to that because I haven't been able to. So that in itself, and I journal a lot and I write a lot. And I, I say perspective shift because that's exactly what happened. But I never, I don't think until you said it like that, or maybe I just didn't embrace it that way, but thank you for putting the words to it because I'm still learning who I am from losing her and I'm still trying a lot on in that too. So, which is terrifying in its own respect, 
because it's a very vulnerable place to be. Um, but thank you for putting words to that because I wrote it down. Because <laughs> that's it's just nice to kind of hear it from that like my internal voice because maybe it validates a piece of it maybe I don't know mm -hmm. but thank you for putting words to it because that's it just connected so thank you for that well good I sat here thinking about it for a minute I'm like do I say it do I not so I'm very happy no that I, I did. thank you <laughs> no I appreciate it because sometimes it when you're in it it's difficult to see it or to think it or to embrace it so yeah thank you well, you've had, I mean, honestly, an intense couple of years and after, <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, I'm just, I'm saying it that way because, you know, after you lost Harper um, and then you became pregnant again in December of 2019, you started your own wellness business. Basically, you started My Inner Peace Wellness and you work with families specifically on all types of things, on wellness, on mm -hmm. pregnancy, on postpartum, all of these things. So was that a part of your healing process or is that, you know, was that your calling? Did you feel like this is my purpose? This is what I'm supposed to be doing? How did that come about? Yeah, I think it was just kind of one of those moments. I mean, how candid can I be? Am I allowed to cuss? Oh, sure. Why not? It was kind of, I, well, and it's interesting that I'm going to say, it's like kind of like the shitter get off the pot moment. Like I had wanted to do this for years. You know, I started my blog, like you said, in 2014. Um, I've taught yoga um, since 2012, 2013. So, I mean, this definitely has been something that has been, you know, in the works for a while. And it was kind of this now or never. I mean, or not even now or never, but it was seizing the moment, I think is a better way to look at it. And I definitely think the perspective shift that I experienced and figuring out ways, you know, just to honor our journey and to honor what I hope to achieve by doing this. It was like, why not? Who knew what was going to be happening just a few short months later? You know, you don't necessarily look to launch a business and then a global pandemic hits, which definitely shifts a focus. Um, but yeah, it was, it just felt the timing. It felt right to just take that leap and see what happens. So for people that are interested in working with you, what's your approach? When you talk to a new client, what are you interested in finding out for them? And what kind of plan are you putting in place? So it really just depends on who I'm talking to. And that's the greatest part about the programs that uh, I've put together that I will customize. Is it's customized, it's holistic, it's based on, uh, you know, the individual or the family's goals that they want to achieve. I think it's important for it to be accessible and real and a partnership. It's not about me coming in and, you know, telling somebody what to do. It's hearing of their human experience, you know, what intrigues them to reach out. It's having open dialogue and conversation and then making suggestions and recommendations from there. And then whether, you know, it's, 
somebody wants to do the program on their own and touch base, or if they want to have weekly check-ins or bi-weekly check-ins or month, you know, it really runs kind of a, a universal approach, really. It just really depends on what somebody wants to accomplish. And it's not about, you know, I define wellness more so of what brings you joy. And that is different for everybody. You know, what makes you happy? If reading books, let's incorporate that. You know, it doesn't always have to be um, food and exercise. I think that that's where people get really kind of locked into this idea. So it's really also introducing how perspectives can change on how somebody can define wellness for themselves and what that means and making sure it's accessible and that it fits in to where they currently are because it's gonna be different six months from now from your own human experience, right? It depends on what happens in life. And so it's also being flexible too, that somebody may come back and say, you know what, let's go this direction or this is more important to me now. So it's just hearing somebody's life story and creating something from that. Well, I love that. And I think you really have hit on something there because I know for me, my entire life growing up, you're told, well, just follow this diet or just do this thing or just do whatever. It's never an all encompassing program or something that works for me in my lifestyle. It's something I have to change or do or, or whatever. So I think right. it's important to talk to the individual and find out, okay, what is your lifestyle currently? And, you know, again, what do you enjoy doing? Because so much of it is I joke around on this podcast all the time about how I hate exercising. I, I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm one of those people that if I can actually get there and start doing it, I'm good. I'm good. It's the getting there part. Sure. I'm really the queen of excuses. <laughs> to be quite honest, and I'm not shy about saying it. I just am. Um, So, you know, if I were to talk to you and say that, I'm sure you'd have a hundred ideas. Okay, well, why don't you run up and down your stairs 15 times or, you know, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that's important for people, especially nowadays, because we're all good at coming up with excuses of why we can't eat better or why we can't exercise or why we can't meditate, why we can't take time for ourselves. It's always something, but got to eliminate the excuses and find what works for you. Yeah. So. Well, and just make it accessible. Again, it's kind of, it's tearing down these preconceived ideas of what it's supposed to be because those mm-hmm. are defined by other people. You have to mm-hmm. define it for yourself that, you know, if you love gardening, maybe that's your exercise. Like exercise doesn't have to be some structured gym or yoga, even though those can be incorporated. But if that doesn't work for somebody, you can't force something that isn't going to work. So it's really trying to find out what people enjoy doing. And again, perspective shifting. And, and if you like gardening, awesome. You know, it's, it's like you had mentioned earlier, right? Giving yourself more credit. It's getting mm-hmm. creative with giving mm-hmm. yourself the credit too. And that waking up and walking around your house, that's exercise, you're moving, you know, so it's, it's having that conversation that can really open people's minds on, oh, wait, I never thought about it like that. 
And that's mm-hmm. still stuff too that I'm working on. So it's also you learn together sometimes as well, which I think is also really exciting and real. Yeah, I agree. And you wrote an amazing blog that's going to be up on montrospective.com. And I want everybody to go read it and check it out. It is so awesome. She's not kidding about loving to write and she's a very talented writer, but in it, she specifically talks about the pillars for growth. Can you tell us just a little taste about what that means and why it's important for everybody to develop their own pillars of growth? Yes. So I don't want to give away too much, and I love to speak, as I'm sure you can tell <laughs> thus far. I'll cut you I off if you start saying go. too much. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, because I don't want to give it away. Um, so, you know, throughout my own wellness journey, I think it, it has changed so much throughout the years. And, you know, at different parts of my own journey, right, it's been very much about diet or exercise or doing this or doing this challenge or doing, you know, all these things. And while I still think there is a benefit in in those things that I I talk about, I also think that pillars, you know, it's, it's the things that when life gets chaotic that you can come back to. And unpacking my wellness journey has been exciting and confusing and empowering and terrifying because it's like wait a second I've totally done all of these things at some point in my journey or I've spoken about it in a way that may have left so many people kind of out of the equation right because when you get so stuck on certain ideas then it becomes um, it's no longer accessible, right? It, 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 so I've, I've worked really hard and I, I continue to work hard on unpacking my own wellness journey and defining certain pillars. Like I was saying, you know, it's what you can come back to in your days. It's good reminders that you can carry with you. It's meeting yourself with, um, meeting yourself with, like compassion rather than criticism, you know, because life happens, especially as a mom, man, and I try it on all the time. I do not own my schedule anymore. I want to own my schedule so bad. (laughs) I do not own my schedule. And that's okay, right? So it's, again, shifting the pillars, and they will change depending on what's happening in life. So it's figuring out ways to keep yourself grounded within the chaos, what I like to call the beautiful chaos of life. Uh, It's taking your human experience and refocusing and pivoting sometimes and rethinking, okay, so this was important to me six months ago, but here's where I am now. I need to shift some things. But what I talk about in the blog uh, are some consistent pillars that have kind of carried through. I may define it differently than I did 10 years ago, mm-hmm. but there's a consistency that has just really helped to keep me grounded, even when I'm not grounded. You actually it's- refer to them as foundational pillars. 
that's that's, it's all in that word it's your foundation and it's okay if that foundation shifts and change but there's a base there there's something that you go back to so yeah yeah it's it's start mm -hmm. a place to start because wellness it can be so um daunting and overwhelming and like where do I even start so that's what I'm hoping from what I share in the blog is just giving ideas and suggestions again you have to define it for yourself and you may read it and decide, you know what, I didn't think of this other thing that, you know, I didn't even talk about, but I didn't even think about all these other things that could be a foundational pillar for yourself. And so that's the exciting thing too, is it's that conversation starter. It's that thought process that starts working, but I hope to really encourage people to start just throwing some ideas around for themselves. And if any of it resonates with them, of course, keeping it, and then if it brings up other great ideas, keeping those. So, Well, I'm going to link to the blog on all of my social media channels, but it will be at montrospective.com. And I encourage everyone to go read it. There's a really, a lot of good information in there and presented in a way that everyone will understand, which I think is half the battle these days. You've got all these amazing authors yeah. out there like Deepak Chopra and everybody and I think I need an encyclopedia sometimes to read some of those books or whatever. They're using words and terms that I'm like way above my head. Um, But I think what you wrote will speak to a lot of people. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for sharing it. No problem. We're going to hop into a a few fun questions really quick. Oh boy. By fun. I mean, we're just going to learn a little bit more about you. Um, How do you deal with criticism? (laughs) It depends on the day. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Yeah. So, man, that's a, such a good question, and I think it really depends on the day and depends on the energy. I think it can be challenging, especially if you feel called out and the criticism feels like you're being called out. But it's also a really great opportunity to find growth, and I think sometimes it's an easy. Criticism, I think, is the easiest emotion or it's the easiest situation that can invoke an emotion from you. But I think that's where I've gotten better at trying to stay, and I say grounded, but it sometimes when I'm criticized, I don't stay grounded, which is being human. It's being less reactionary. Mm-hmm. It's, it's taking that moment, sometimes just taking it in taking a deep breath. And if you feel uncomfortable, maybe it's a conversation and you're like, okay, you know, if you're on the phone with somebody, just ending the phone call. And then stepping into my self-reflection, I think has been the biggest growth I've felt throughout the years is less reactionary, more intentional, and really sitting in my self-reflection of like, okay, why am I, okay, this person brought something to me. Why am I feeling this way? Right? Because I'm not well, in control it's taking- of like, it's taking your ego out of it for a second. Yeah. Yeah. It's that shift for sure. And it's, um, you know, I'm not in control of what other people say to me, but I am in a hundred percent control of my reaction. So it's also the self-reflection, like in the self-reflection, it's also like, Hmm. So if somebody, let's say somebody else is criticizing me, maybe they're having a rough day, you know, like it could also be completely by accident Um, or not, who knows, but it's sometimes just taking a step back and being an observer 
less reactionary, more intentional. Take a deep breath. <laughs> so, it's a hard lesson to learn, but it's an important oh, one. And it's yeah. important one in your growth because you're absolutely right. You may be getting criticized by somebody, but they're actually criticizing something in themselves, not yeah. you. Um, and that's or even the internal separate, criticism. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's I a whole that's separate the, podcast episode right there. hundred <laughs> percent. But I think that's also the thing too is, you know, is it external or internal criticism? Mm -hmm. And then how do you work through that when it's yourself that's criticizing yourself? It's again, finding the compassion, the grace, the space, like that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So what inspires you? Oh, what inspires me? Man, that is a really good question that I don't think I've been asked for some time. My family, wanting to leave a legacy of memories and experiences, not stuff, I think, through my family, trying to make a difference whether that's helping people or using my voice to help people. But yeah, just creating change. Well, that's perfect. That, that was actually going to be my last question. And I think you already answered it. I was going to ask you what you yeah. wanted your legacy to be. And I think you just answered it <laughs> for me as being yeah. able to create that yeah. change and help other people. So uh, you already are, you already are. And, um, I know that you're going to continue to, and you're going to continue to be a huge success with everything you do. Um, we have reached a point in the podcast where I'm going to ask you to find your mantra spec. So this is a little exercise I do where I give you a real life scenario. Sorry, my water bottle is so loud. I had to get some water. <laughs> I heard it just squeak. <laughs> are, are you feeling a little pressured right now? A little nervous? Don't worry. This is yeah, it. This I'm scary. in my seat. <laughs> this isn't scary, I promise. So, you know, we all deal with outside influences that affect our mood. So I'm going to give you a scenario and you just find the good in it. Okay. This is going to be so easy for you. For you can, but I'm telling you, this is going to be so easy <laughs> for you because I made okay. it something that you probably honestly deal with. So okay, okay, okay. Um, you're a busy working mom and you have plans to take 30 minutes for yourself to do yoga, but your kiddos are demanding your attention. Find your mantra perspective. Oh my God. Yell at the top of my lungs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if I can review it with you, want 30 minutes to myself to do yoga, but my kids are demanding my attention. Yeah. So you're not going to get to potentially do the yoga or you do and incorporate them. I would totally, like, yeah, I would totally just, you know, have them do it with me. I mean, our six month old can't do yoga yet. I mean, that, no, that's not true. She is doing happy baby. So I'd probably just lay her on the floor <laughs> and her do happy baby. And, you know, try to encourage our son to do it and if they're not having it then probably as difficult as it is for me to say and to do sometimes just not do yoga and just 
surrender into whatever they want me to do because that's what I'm supposed to do as a mom or no not supposed to do that's what I want to do as a mom is show up for them so sometimes it's releasing my own expectation or my own wants and just showing up because that should be enough that is an awesome answer (laughs) (laughs) I know a lot of moms are nodding their heads right now like yep that's how we feel yeah Um, Okay, one final question for you. Okay. What mantra do you say to yourself that keeps you going? I have two. One, if it's okay for me to share both. Absolutely. So one is I give myself permission to heal. And the other is I have to show up for myself in order to show up for others. So I have to show up for myself first in order to show up for others around me. Those are powerful and very important. So th- thank you for sharing those. Um, thank you for letting Ashley, me. Ashley, <laughs> I want to thank you for being so open and authentic about your journey. I think the more we are honest with ourselves and others about our challenges and experiences, the more we realize we're not alone and that we're more alike than we are different. Um, if you'd like to learn more about Ashley and My Inner Peace Wellness, you can go to myinnerpeacewellness.com and you can also follow her on Facebook and Instagram at My Inner Peace Wellness. Thanks again, Ashley, for joining me and we'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for having me. Remember, your thoughts become your reality. You have all you need to begin to make your dreams come true. Dream it, believe it, manifest it. Have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.